Well, good morning, Bethany North. My name is Raul Perez, and uh, I'm the new senior associate pastor here at North. Uh, I've been here two months. Yeah, hey, yeah. I made it, two months. Uh, <laughs> and this is my first time preaching in front of y'all, uh, and that's, that's actually, I think, why I got put on this weekend, because uh, it is Memorial Day weekend, uh, a time where we get to honor uh, our vets for their service, and we thank them, but the unofficial title of this weekend is Associate Pastor Preaching Weekend, uh, where I get to cut my teeth on a, in a smaller crowd, so... But uh, seriously, no, I'm, I'm really excited to be here, to be uh, uh, preaching from God's Word, and to share a bit of my story with you as well. Um, before I kind of launch my story a little bit, I wanted to kind of share the big idea that we're going to be, that's going to focus our time for today. Uh, and here it is. It is by embracing, not hiding our brokenness as a community, which connects us to the broken people we are wanting to reach for Christ. It is by embracing, not hiding, our brokenness. So last week, uh, I got an opportunity to go to Malibu, Canada with 24 other men from uh, Bethany North. And there we are. Uh, Beautiful place. Um, And there was 60 men from Bethany overall that got to go. And we got an inspiring picture here. That's us, yep, pretty excited to be there. Um, This was a really special trip for me because growing up, I did not go to camps or Christian retreats because, you see, when I was 21, uh, that's when I uh, came to faith through a metal band that I was playing with called Final Design. And yes, I was the screamer, but we won't have any clips for you today. We've kind of put those in the vault. Um, The year I came to faith, I transferred to... Uh, Seattle Pacific University with my three bandmates. We continued to play music and press into our Christian faith. Uh, It was there at SPU that I met my now wife, Sarah, and she was a Young Life staff member uh, and volunteer. Um, So while we were dating, uh, she invited me to club uh, one time when she was going to speak. And she gave this message uh, where she talked about uh, this intimacy with God and what happens when we allow God's love, love to come into our lives. And she used this example of a, an empty cup and a pitcher full of water, and she filled it up. And I can still remember the water filling the cup and bubbling over uh, as an example of God's love. Um, it was then she told me about Malibu. She had told me she'd gone five times and how this place was amazing and beautiful and uh, you can hardly imagine it. And it was both hard and revealing for her at the same time. Uh, you know, as a listener, I couldn't ever quite understand it, right? I could never quite grasp it. And I always had this place in me, our whole marriage, of desiring to go to Malibu. And this last weekend, I got that opportunity. Uh, Malibu is this incredible place run by Young Life, uh, just north of Vancouver in the middle of nowhere. Uh, It's built on a rock next to an inlet, and there's no cell reception. So when you're out there, you're stuck. And men carved out four days to go be adult boys and get into all sorts of shenanigans. So here's the dock, and you can, like, you know, ski and and do all kinds of crazy stuff uh, here at Malibu. It's really like a a wilderness kind of retreat. Um, So I learned that's why men come. 
they come to kind of let down, to, to be connected to one another and just have fun. But what they don't know they're coming for is to get ambushed by God's truth and love. And I use ambush intentionally because men are obstinate, right? And they're unwilling to be vulnerable and they need to be ambushed by God's love just to, just to share with one another. Maybe that's just me. But <laughs> uh, over the course of the weekend, men hear talks about brokenness and shame and hiding, but they mostly hear about God's love and they begin to soften. They're brought together to talk uh, at the end of the day, something called cabin time, and they're encouraged to share what they're hearing and what they're feeling. And all of our Bethany North men, including myself, shared about their stuff. So while keeping anonymity and confidentiality, what I would tell you is that men confessed about addictions, lust, and patterns of violence, hypocrisy, secret shame, disengagement from responsibilities, pride, judgmentalism, and many more things. It was an honor to be in the room with these men sharing about their collective brokenness. It was a further honor to pray with two men to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior this last weekend. Right, yes. This was an honor because in those moments, what happens is a discovery. A discovery that brokenness is not something to be hidden or ashamed of, but it is God's way of bonding us together in our brokenness. Like an open glass waiting to be filled up with a stream of water, confession of sin and brokenness puts us in a posture to receive the gift of living water that is in fact already poured into each one of us. We just need to but open ourselves up to the realization that this has been given to us. But for many, the necessary way to recognize the need to even accept this free gift in us is by going through hidden brokenness. What Richard called, Pastor Richard called last week fog, and what our text today references as offenses against God, I'm calling hidden brokenness. So there's three points I want to make to you today. Uh, the first in your bulletin is called hiding is death. I think it says verses one through four, but we're just going to focus on one through three right now. Let me read this passage for us as we, uh, we, we look into it. At one time you were like a dead person because of the things you did wrong and your offenses against God. You used to act like most people in our world do. You followed the rule of a destructive spiritual power. This is the spirit of disobedience to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. At one time, you were like those persons. All of you used to do whatever felt good and whatever you thought you wanted so that you were children headed for punishment just like everyone else. In this first verse, we see Paul clearly stating in past tense, which will be important later, that we were like dead people because of our offenses against God, our sins. At first glance, it may seem like Paul is referencing moral sins as the offenses against God. Those things that we can clearly see, the Ten Commandments that we do that uh, are offenses to God. But I think if we 
push a little bit further, I think we might see that there's a, more, a, a deeper-seated meaning to what Paul is talking about here. You see, when I was 21, as I said earlier, I had this very powerful conversion to Christian faith. I really changed my entire life because of this encounter with Jesus. I was told that God's word spoke against drunkenness and promiscuity, lust and manipulation, and various other things that I was doing. And to me, it, it felt simple. Uh, these things are getting in the way of my relationship with Jesus, so I should just stop doing them. And in all my zeal, that's what I did. Uh, I stopped committing as many moral sins as I could recognize to shore up this new relationship with Jesus. For years, I felt like I was doing all the right things in my Christian walk, and all the while, I was not surrendering a particular part of myself to God. You see, it wasn't, it wasn't a moral area that I wasn't surrendering. It was, it was an area of hurt. It was the anger I was carrying from brokenness in my family of origin, a deeply painful wound for me. I didn't know it at the time, and it wasn't until this year, and it's only May, (laughs) that I realized I was in denial about this part of my life. I was hiding it from myself, from my wife, and from God. It was difficult for me to allow anyone to see or speak into this area of my life, and ultimately, My trying to keep that pain out of the light caused me to transmit that pain upon those that I love the most. I was lonely and wanted this part of me to be known, but I didn't know how to break out of my isolation that I had created. I think this is the deep-seated side of what Paul is calling offenses against God and why we are like people who are dead. For if we are hiding... We are isolated from God and blocking God from our lives. To be cut off from God is to be dead. Hiding is death, and eventually, hiding becomes sin. And this pattern is as old as the sin of Adam and Eve. What happens? Adam and Eve eat of the the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and their eyes are opened to all things. This is the tree that God commands them not to eat of, and they eat. They perceive they were naked, which they concluded was shameful, so they clothed themselves. And then in their guilt and shame about their sin, they hide from God. And when they're found by God and asked what happened, Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent, and then they're cast out. And throughout the whole scene, Adam and Eve appear unrepentant. I don't know about you, but when I'm unrepentant, I am completely unreceptive, ungraceful, unloving in the ways that I am being faced with this, the, the ask of what's going on. Isolation is the total opposite of God's character because God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is inherently relational within God's self. So when Paul tells us we're like a dead person, he is saying you've cut yourself off from the living God by hiding from him. We are like people who are dead when we cut ourselves off from God, and when we cut ourselves off from God, we cut ourselves off from one another. And frankly, I think we cut ourselves off from a credible witness to the world. 
Hiding is death, and that is the real sin. Franciscan priest Richard Rohr defines sin this way. Sin is the state of being closed down, shut off, blocked, and thus resisting the eternal flow that we are meant to be. We see here that sin is not simply focused on the moral. Sin is anything we do, use, or refuse, socially acceptable or not, that causes us to isolate ourselves from God. Anything that cuts off God's love from flowing in and through us is sin. And this is what made the Malibu retreat such a gift, because men stopped hiding. They confessed not only their moral sins, but acknowledged the many and various devices that they use to keep themselves and others at arm's length from their pain. The act of confession of sin and pain to each other has this confounding effect in our lives. Something that's, that socially and certainly politically means death, as Christians we find that it causes us to be bound to one another in each other's sufferings. We find life in each other's wounds. It's very paradoxical. So hear me when I say this. It is precisely by facing and going through our pain and brokenness that we are connected to a life with Jesus and the brokenness in the people around us. It is only by encountering ourselves and coming out of hiding that we begin the transition from death to life. I want to stress that this is less of a personal experience and more of a, com- a communal journey. If we want to be a community where deeply broken and hurting people can meet Christ, we need to stop projecting perfection and start embracing our collective brokenness. Our addictions, our pains, our abuses, our failures, our judgmental attitudes. The church community is not a place for us to hide from the world. It is a refuge for the broken, a hospital for the hurting or better yet, a 12-step meeting where we are just real with each other all the time. It is a place where we are bound together one to another in our common sufferings and tying that pain to the suffering of Christ on the cross. We delight in our brokenness together rather than hide them. And I would just, I would say that further, there, there is as much pain in the Christian community as there is in the non-Christian one. So if we aren't being real with each other, being honest with our brokenness with each other, we're supposed to be the hope of the world. For some people, this is the last option. And if they, they can't bring their brokenness here, they, you, there might be some here that are quietly suffering because they don't know where else to go. This is the, the place where brokenness can be welcomed and transformed. So the challenge is out there to us, but it stirs up a fear, and at least I know it does in me, of what will happen when we're vulnerable with God. Maybe questions like, will God's wrath burn against us for confessing our sins? Or will God take advantage of our brokenness and hurt us again? 
I think these fears come up because we're convinced that God's highest priority is fairness, tit-for-tat thinking. And I would say to you that fairness is a human construct. It is not in the mind of our God. I tell you, not only is God not planning to respond to you in anger for your disobedience, he is responding to you with creative grace, what the acting world calls over-accepting. So we're on to point two now in your bulletin, alive in Christ, or as my CEB translation puts it, life with Christ. And to better help us understand what verses four through nine are saying, uh, I want to expound on this idea of over-accepting. In improvisational acting, as described by Samuel Wells in his book, Improvisation, An actor can generally respond in one of three ways to a proposition that they receive. They can block, accept, or over-accept. And I'll just kind of lay these out and give an example. To block is essentially denying the propositions, the ideas, or even the person coming towards you. Blocking is inherently violent because it uses power to deny the idea or the person in front of you. To accept, on the other hand, is to welcome any person or circumstance at any moment. To accept is to change your whole plan to adapt to a new circumstance. The third option is to over-accept. To over-accept is to take the scene or circumstance you are faced with and elevate it to be a part of the bigger story, the bigger theme the bigger purpose. I had a brother come to me between services and say, hey, I didn't understand that whole blocking, accepting, over-accepting thing. Can you give an example? And yeah, let's, let's try that. So I'm going to pull one out and we'll see how it fits before we get to the spiritual application. Um, Princess Diana, uh, before her death and uh, just after uh, she was being divorced, by Prince William, in an interview, she was asked, do you think you'll ever be queen? And she could have blocked and said, I'm not going to talk about that. That would be blocking. She could accept and say, I'm sure that, uh, you know, I'll be married again and that I will become queen. That would be accepting. But she didn't say either one of those. She rose the narrative to a higher place, and she said, well, perhaps I'll just become queen of people's hearts. That's over-accepting. That's not getting bogged down in the narrative. That's raising it above. And this is precisely what God has been doing all throughout time, all throughout Scripture, and what Paul is talking about in Ephesians today. God is not blocking us in our disobedience by being angry with us or punishing us for our disobedience. That's actually why verses 1 through 3 are written in the past tense. Us being children headed for punishment, that is a thing of the past. And God is not even simply accepting, which would be, in this case, forgiveness of sins. Accepting would look like Christ going to the cross, taking our sins, and forgiving them, and then end of story. But that's not what God does, right? 
God takes the cross of Christ and resurrects him from the dead. While we were still dead, God over-accepts our disobedience, our hiding, our brokenness, and resurrects us to a life with Christ. Amen? And not only that, God gives us new life with Christ as a free gift, a gift that has already been embedded in the hearts of who we truly are. All that is required for us to access the power of this free gift is to acknowledge our need for it and point to the one, Jesus Christ, Son of God, who gave it to us. This is the good news of the gospel and the powerful truth Paul is communicating to us through Ephesians. Even though Israel is unfaithful as the chosen people of God, God does not block them by cutting them off and giving them their, their rightful punishment, choosing another group to work through. No, God doesn't block. God doesn't even simply accept and say, okay, I forgive you. Let's give it another go. No, our God in God's creative grace says this. I forgive you. I'm still going to work through and empower you. But now I am going to give my Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, all of us, as well, so that my glory and my grace may be spread across the whole earth. Oh, and by the way, Jew and Gentile are no longer a separate group. They are now a one people group in my son, Jesus Christ. What an amazing, graceful uh, act of love on God's part to not simply do the easy thing, but to go the creative mile and create a whole new people group in his son, Jesus Christ. And we are that people group. We are that people, the sons and the daughters, who are inheriting a promise from God. This is the creative grace that our God is all about. Taking disparate pieces of our lives and binding them together to make something beautiful. We're on to our last point now, masterpieces of brokenness. And I think it kind of prompts one more question. If we have already faced our brokenness and the pain of that wound still remains, is there something wrong? Is there something wrong? To all you who have been facing your sin and your pain and brokenness and have stopped hiding from God, yet still bear the wounds with you, I tell you, there is nothing wrong with you. What you are experiencing is not a lack of God's grace or forgiveness, but really the invitation from God to have your wounds transformed. God is over-accepting your brokenness and inviting you to allow God to make your brokenness beautiful. Pain comes to us all in this life, and we are all wounded. So there is no shame in, for any of us in being broken. The choice we have is whether we are going to deny we have wounds and hide them or reveal them and allow God to transform their meaning. Either way, the wounds will remain. Jesus is the ultimate example of this reality. Here in this painting, 
Jesus post-resurrection with the Apostle Thomas who said, I will not believe until I am able to put my hands in Christ's wounds. This is, the, this is post-resurrection Jesus with the wound still in his side, the wound still in his hands and feet. Why do those wounds remain post-resurrection? It is to show the world that you can be both wounded and resurrected. You can be broken and transformed. Our pain is not a point of shame, but the meeting place of salvation for ourselves and for others. It is precisely because we are imperfect and hurting people who have been transformed that we have a credible witness to the world around us. This is what verse 10 is telling us, that we, the wounded, are God's accomplishment. The word accomplishment here can be translated masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. Masterpieces of brokenness in a broken world longing to be valuable to someone, anyone. And they are valuable to God. Even though they're broken to pieces, God will make them a masterpiece and set about transforming others in and through their pain, in and through your pain. As a community together, let us commit to over-accepting a broken world as God has over-accepted us in our disobedience and hidden brokenness. Let us be a community where the broken come to be healed and made into masterpieces of brokenness. At Malibu, I came face to face with both sin and brokenness that I had been hiding from in my life. At the same time, I was preparing this very sermon, so I was sort of faced (laughs) with uh, needing to take a step because I asked myself, do I believe in God's promises? And so I did. Uh, With fear and uncertainty in myself about the outcome, I opened myself to brothers here in the community and opened up to God. I asked God to take my pain and to transform it. Uh, And one of the last practices we did there was we went down to the dock and they had rocks waiting for us. And these rocks were supposed to represent our sin and our hurt that we wanted to leave. And they told us to take a rock. I took three. And uh, the first rock, I said, God, forgive me for feelings of hatred that I have held for some in my life. God, heal me. The second, God, forgive me for anger that I have felt towards one in my life. God, heal me. And the third was asking God to forgive me for the ways that I have judged one in my life. God, heal me. When I threw the rocks in the water, I felt the Lord direct me to the inlet that uh, all of Malibu was built on. And I went over there and looked at it and videotaped it, and this is, this is what I saw. God brought to mind the example of the cup and the pitcher. And God told me, 
this is my love, as wide and vast and deep, and you are the cup I'm filling up, but I am no pitcher. I am this huge body of water rushing into you to confirm that I love you, that you are forgiven, and in fact, your pain, your pain is what makes you beautiful. So let me work. Let me work in your life. And I was tempted this morning to not come and talk to you about this, this revelation, this assurance that God has given me, but I could not. I can't but testify to you the ways that God has not only forgiven me, has given me love and grace, but has confirmed in me that when you speak through your brokenness, you will connect to the broken of others. And that is the hope of the world. Uh, that's it. I, uh, I, did this last <laughs> I did this last sermon, too, where I kind of like hit my climax and then that was it. And uh, <laughs> so I did it again. I thought I had a way out of that. Um, but, but what I really want to do is, uh, is really communicate that, that we are the hope and embodiment of Christ in the world. And unless we're real, unless we're honest with ourselves and share our brokenness with others, we're going to be a fake front to the Christian faith. So I wanted this to be more than just uh, something you hear and think on and go home and pray about. I wanted it to be something that we could practice here today. So I want to lead you through a time of listening prayer. This will be a time for us to ask the Spirit of God to reveal to us about our hidden brokenness and maybe even direct us to whom God's Spirit would have us share with. So, I'm not sure how many have done a listening prayer, but I just put up a few points here that might be able to assist us in this time. God's voice in your head will sound like your voice. Who else's voice would it sound like? It's not going to be James Earl Jones speaking to you from on high. It's going to be your voice. You are made in the image of God. God has given you your voice, so of course, God's voice sounds like your voice. But there's ways that God's voice will speak to you that will help you discern whether it's God's voice or the evil one. For God's voice convicts or comforts, but will not condemn. God will convict you of, of hidden sin in a loving way or comfort you in your pain and your hurt, but will not condemn you with shame, with guilt, with you should, with you're not enough. If these are the voices in your head in the name of Jesus Christ, tell them to stop. For God has given you every spiritual gift. And by claiming the name of Christ, you can tell those voices to stop, those tapes to stop running. And be open to the quiet voice of God convicting you, comforting you, directing you. So as a way of being open to God's Spirit, let's uh, put our hands, uh, uh, palm, palms up to 
be open to the Spirit of God. Let's close our eyes, and I know at times this is a scary act, but God's promises are true. Let us open ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray, we ask, we know that you are speaking. You are speaking to each one here. And God, we are blocked from your flow, from your spirit, from your love. Open us up, Lord. Soften our hearts. Gently pull down our walls so that we may hear you in this time. Help us to Step out. Step out into your light. Quietly within yourselves, ask the Spirit this question. Spirit, what hidden brokenness do you want to reveal to me today? And to make that a communal question, Spirit, what hidden brokenness do you want to reveal to us about us today? For some, that hidden brokenness might have just popped right into your head after the question. It might have been something that was right underneath the surface. The Spirit just pointed at it. But for some, it might have felt like a random thought. It might have felt like, that doesn't make sense. But don't let it go too quickly. Perhaps it is something you have buried. And the Spirit is bringing it back up. You don't have to judge it or good or bad, just hold on to it. Well, let's ask Spirit this question. Spirit, who do you want me to share this brokenness with? Again, for some, it might have, become, it might have been very obvious. Of course, I'm going to share this with my spouse or a friend. But for others, perhaps somebody's name came up, someone maybe you've even forgotten about. It's not a passing thought. That person may need to hear your story of brokenness because it is their story too. I'd like to invite the prayer team to uh, come and stand before us. Um, I've invited our, our prayer team to gather today because uh, they want to be available to you if you need someone to hear your story, to hear your pain. They want to be available to you in confidentiality and in grace to pray with you. So here they are. They're standing here before you. They'll be in uh, the various alcoves. I'll be up front. 
this is a hard practice and this is a hard thing to step into and I know, I know that. Um, but I believe this is why Christ went to the cross and more so why God resurrected God. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. God, it's true, but uh, God resurrected Jesus from the dead. It's because God knows we have brokenness. God is not unaware. God is waiting for us to realize it and realize our need for this free gift that is already in us. So let us together as a community be bold, have courage, and face your brokenness today.